my very own coffee beans, my Emily Kinney beans that I did with Dayglow. So I know these are gonna be good because I picked them out. Back in October, a friend of mine, the friend's name is Steve, sent a song to me. It was the song, If You Got a Problem, by Joy Oladakun. I have some friends who worked on this, Steve wrote. I think you'll like it. So of course I listened right away, and Steve was right on. I did like it, and that same day I discovered another song I liked by Joy called Bad Blood. And then I listened to that entire album, and I discovered that I really liked the album as well, and I needed to listen to Joy's album several times in a row. I love when this happens. When I'm able to connect to a particular artist and suddenly I feel like I can see something about the world through someone else's eyes. And wow, I just want to keep looking. Mm, it smells really good. Coffee to go with my new album. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not the only one who feels this way about Joy's music because I've been noticing in the last few months Joy getting so much cool press and even playing late night shows like Jimmy Fallon. I messaged Joy on Instagram one day and I was so happy when she agreed to be on today's podcast. I couldn't wait to learn more about her and I can't wait for you guys to learn more about her. Joy joined me on Zoom from Nashville and she wasn't drinking coffee, but she was drinking tea from one of my favorite Nashville spots, High Garden. Oh man, this smells so good. Can't wait to start my day now. I was so excited to meet you because I've been listening to your album so much. I'm just going to tell you the story and then <laughs> I'm just going to like do my fan thing first. And <laughs> A friend of mine, I don't know if you know Mr. Steve, who does like kids music and stuff. He lives in Nashville. I feel like that sounds very familiar. Yeah. Well, we've met through mutual friends and things and kept in touch on Instagram and once in a while we'll like send each other music we like and he sent me, you got a problem. This was during quarantine, and I was like, oh my god, I love this song. I was like playing it over and over, and then I just dove completely into the album and did that thing where I just was listening to it over and over. I love when I feel like I discover an artist in that way. I feel like somehow close to someone I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And I haven't felt that way in a minute. You know, maybe where I would like get really into someone's one song or like single where now I feel like I can like see a certain way that you process the world, at least through your music. Thank you so much. That means a lot. I can totally relate to the like finding an artist catalog and then feeling like you've just met your best friend in the entire, like, you know, <laughs> like it's crazy how it allows us to like get familiar with each other without actually knowing each other. Is there an artist like during this quarantine that you've felt that way about? I'm always on a Phoebe Bridgers kick, but mm. she obviously like released a new album during quarantine. I don't often meet people that communicate their sadness in just such a clear and honest way. And it's refreshing and it's fun. And I think it's like good for us as humans to have sort of 
exhibited for us. I've been into a lot of hip hop too, probably because of like the political unrest. I feel like when we're much older, we'll look back on like the way that Kendrick Lamar writes just him as an artist and be like, oh crap, he was like Prince level genius. Like he, like I just think he'll go down in history. And then Frank Ocean for when I'm in my feelings. Yeah. Just, just need someone to meet me there. <laughs> Oh, that's so great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so what are you drinking today? Like, how did you start out your morning? Ah, yes. I can't have coffee. Yeah. Apparently, I have anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, a while ago, my doctor was like, caffeine's probably not your best friend. And so I was like, sick, sick, sick. I drink herbal teas in the morning out of this, like, crazy, like, tea press contraption. And this is a rose hip and hibiscus tea. Oh, nice. A little bit of cinnamon. Because it's kind of like overcast and cold here in Nashville. Yeah. So it's like a nice warming morning type thing. Is there a place that you like to get your tea in Nashville or do you always make it at home? There is this company called High Garden Tea. They used to have this cute, cute, cute like storefront here in Nashville before the tornado. Unfortunately, it got destroyed in the storm. Um, But they're still like selling blends and stuff online. Their teas are amazing. And they have kombucha that's great. I've been there. Well, I was there when it was a standing store. I I used to be in Nashville a lot, like back and forth. And yeah, it was one of my favorite spots. I actually still order. I like their teas that are for certain things. Like you can be like, oh, like stress, cramps, whatever. So I'll like go online and just find my problem. (laughs) Yeah. What is ailing me? Okay, so I want to know what growing up was like for you. Where did you grow up and like were your parents into music? I am not from Nashville. I actually only moved here about two years ago. I was living in LA for a while because I like went to college in Orange County and like was working at a church in Orange County. But I grew up in Arizona in this small farming town like right in between Phoenix and Tucson called Casa Grande. My parents are Nigerian immigrants, and we sort of like ended up in the middle of Arizona on accident. My dad applied for a job that he thought was in Phoenix, and it ended up being in our hometown. And he's a pharmacist, so it was like a great job, but like it was just a little bit further south than we thought. <laughs> right. Like in a tiny town. Yeah, like a cotton and dairy farming town, like that type vibe. Uh, <laughs> Got it. And so I think as a kid, obviously around me, there's a lot of like country music and like sort of folk, like just real like American, what people associate American music with. And then in my house, like my dad loves obviously Nigerian music, but he also is obsessed with like Phil Collins and like 80s power ballads and like all this stuff. And so I grew up on like sort of a weird mixture of the three. I think just like being an immigrant's kid in a farming town in Arizona and being black in a predominantly white space, like I always understood the importance of like mixing cultures and genres and like existing on the fringes. And I think that like shows in the music I was attracted to growing up. Like I had a huge screamo face, like all 16 year olds did. You ha- Wait, what? Like I would, I was like a metalhead for a little bit there. Yes. It's a, uh, it's heavy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think that my parents are not musical at all. Cannot sing for the life of them, though they try. Um, but I think growing up in a house that was always full of music, my dad would show me Paul Simon concerts and like all of these 
artists who have used their platforms not only to like make bops but to like say something and so I think my love of music came from just witnessing it makes me feel good or it makes me feel understood or like when something is wrong in the world it is a medium through which to say here's what's bothering me and here's maybe how we could fix it and I think that was super dope just like a house full of songs and guitar solos (laughs) My family's pretty religious, so my dad grew up Muslim and then converted to Christianity, and then my mom was raised Christian, and they're both Christian now, and so growing up, I, like, went to church and did the whole thing, and in high school, like, a worship leader, and, like, ended up going to Christian college and, like, working in a church for five years, and... In church, was that a place where you started to do some music? Yeah, the watershed moment for me becoming, like interested in music as a means of just like self-expression was my dad sat me down to watch another concert video and it was Tracy Chapman singing at Nelson Mandela's 75th birthday party and it was the first time I had ever seen a black woman play the guitar it seems sort of crazy but like it makes sense like I like I was 10 years old and I like I guess the early 2000s and I like like who at that time was doing that like nobody and yeah for me to see a version of myself reflected back to me and I think there's something about the fact that Tracy Chapman is a folk musician because like I was in a farming town like listening to a lot of country music and being like sometimes my acoustic guitar feels like a bridge like seeing her owning a medium which I had only seen white people own up until then transformative and I like begged my parents to buy me a guitar that next Christmas and they did and I like never went back so I like took interest in music at a young age and then I also took interest in religion and we're still unpacking whether or not that is because I was queer (laughs) (laughs) but in those circles there's a narrative you get told that like you were supposed to use your gifts for this thing so I like went to Christian college studied like worked as a music pastor in a church for a long time. And this was in California? Yes. So this was in Orange County. I was in Costa Mesa for a little bit and then Mission Viejo. And lots of things went wrong. I was young. I was very young. Graduated from high school, was in college, and maybe like one month into college got an internship that turned into a job like very fast. Okay. So like I'm not yet 20 years old and maybe have a little more influence than I should. And I don't know, I just had a lot of fundamental problems that I think I convinced myself that I could brush over or just like pretend like I agree with like the way the church treats queer people or like disenfranchised. When you would notice things that you maybe like didn't agree with, how did you deal with that? Or like, where did you put it? I think my entire life, I've been like a pretty slow processor and I make slow moves as a result. And it's always worked out great for me, but like, When I was at the church, like I was taking in information and it took me five years to decide that this wasn't the right path. Mm -hmm. And for other people, that is plenty of time to essentially sign your life away. And of course, I was like a black woman leading in a predominantly white space because we said Orange County, that has been clarified. Just comments and jokes, sometimes unintentional and sometimes like 
like there was a dude who posted a meme about Michelle Obama being a monkey. It became very clear to me working within that system is not the way in which anyone who actually wants to do good will be able to do it. Yeah. The way churches are run, like in the way a lot of spiritual institutions operate like now is like, it's just a business and it's just about pleasing the people who pay your salary. And it's just about like, appealing to whoever's in power and like that is so not what I think spirituality should be about and so I got to a place where I was like I don't think this is for me and personally I was dealing with the fact that I've been queer and closeted for at that point like 23 years of my life okay so you hadn't talked to your parents or anything like that I hadn't talked to my parents I told a couple friends I told someone I worked at the church with and they promptly took me to like an inner healing prayer session. Hashtag band conversion therapy. (laughs) Yeah. I just, as I was nearing my time, like, okay, this church thing is not for me. I want to make a positive impact on the world. I want to be creative and I want to be able to do it in mediums that are honest. I don't want to feel like I have to hold back to like impress someone's dad or whatever. And so I quit and it did not go over great but it's also my life, so. (laughs) Yeah, of course, it's your life. You should (laughs) do the things that make you feel good, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I know, like, I get, like, from a certain angle, like, those communities are so tight-knit that, like, every decision that I made was supposed to be done in committee. But, like, when an institution's answer to you when you're like, why don't we do something differently is often we've just always done it this way. I don't know that it was even worth me sitting down with leadership and being like, here's how I feel and here's what I want to change. Because it's like every time I asked that during my five years here, like the answer was simple. It's like, we just want to do things the way that we've done them yeah. because they worked for us. And I'm not super into that. That is not my vibe. Especially when it comes to within the Christian framework, Jesus has always been on the side of the marginalized. And I think that the way the church has treated the queer community is awful. I will die on the hill that Jesus doesn't give a shit who I kiss, but he does care. Like if I am so petty that I kick my kid out of my house because he kisses boys. If God exists, I don't think that's who God is. And so I had to come to a place within myself to be like, I have always had that conviction. Like even when I was working at a very conservative church, I always felt Like, this is for everybody. It's not just for, like, straights. (laughs) I mean, that is supposed to be the message, right? That Jesus, like, loves everyone. Yeah, and, like, it's well-meaning because everybody's scared of burning in hell. But, like, (laughs) I don't understand how on planet Earth a committee of a church can sit and have discussions about whether or not a trans woman is allowed in the women's Bible study. Because it's a woman and she's at Bible study. Where the fuck else do you want her to go? (laughs) So... I saw enough of that where I was like, this is gross. And as an actual queer person, it was causing like self-hatred and a division within me that I'm still like literally still in therapy and like doing the work of processing and fixing. I mean, of course. Yeah. And I think that eventually I got to a place where I was like, I'm out. I'm gay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I want to chart a new course of what it means to be like, loving and to be human and influential and Mm -hmm. I really relate to that slow like you said you're collecting I sometimes will tell people similar where like I feel like I like collect 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 until finally I'm like 
oh, okay, now I, I know. Like, like I'll say, like, I'm a turtle. I just take, you know, and sometimes that's so useful. And then sometimes it's like, oh, maybe this could have been done like two years ago. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. maybe I could have made this decision. But was there anything specific you remember? Yeah, I had a bizarre experience that as I am figuring out who I am and what I am, I have categorized under, I have no idea what this is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we would have these staff meetings on Wednesdays and we had a meeting where we were talking about the church's stance on LGBTQ plus people. And I didn't say anything during the entire meeting and they broke into group discussions, like the mental gymnastics that were happening in order to like get around like full inclusion of LGBT people in the church. And it's more work to do this than it is to just let people in. Like it truly, it's more, it's more work. <laughs> it's more frustrating, but it just like, just like let people be loved and let people be a part of a community if they want to be part of a community. So that happened. And then within the span of a week, about like three or four times I was in public, I was at the gym or at a tea shop or like at the grocery store. Someone, a stranger that I've never met before would walk up to me and be like, hey, like, I know you don't know me, but I just kind of feel like God wants me to tell you that you want to quit your job and you should do it. What? <laughs> just like people you didn't know. People I had never met, like people that I was pretty confident, like weren't involved in the church that I was from. like. Yeah, that sounds like God to me. <laughs> and I like, back then, I probably would not have quit my job without that type of confirmation. Like, that's how yeah. deep I was in. I was like, I don't know if I can just decide to up and go. Like, I need the miraculous. Yeah, in seven days, like three or four people came up to me and were like, I just kind of feel like this is for you. And then the next staff meeting, we had a guest speaker. And he was like talking about certain things. And then at the end... In churches, we do this thing where we like worship, which is do the music, and then there's the prayer, and there, some guy will be like, I'm hearing things from Jesus about blah, blah, blah. And the guy goes up on stage during the staff meeting, and he's like, I feel like there's someone here who knows the third time that this church has come to an end, and God wants to give you permission to let it go. Oh my God, that is incredible. That is incredible. It was wild. I still like telling the story I'm like I don't fucking know what to do with this like I just went I don't like I know it is miraculous and I know it is like I have like three or four things in my life that are in that box and this is definitely one of them and so the guy says that and I just start sobbing and I like I gave my two weeks notice that next week and then the church somehow turned it into a six month notice <laughs> so I was working for like six months after I quit, which sucked. I sort of had that emotional, like, this is, this is crap. This is not how we should be treating anybody. Like everybody is welcome at the table. That's the thesis of the Bible. Then that weird, just that circumstance of having people just straight up be like, get out, go, get out. Quit. I mean, I love that story. It does feel like sort of like a spirituality and stuff still a part of your life now, but it does feel almost like God being like, look, like you don't have to, you can, I can still be a part of your life and it doesn't have to be here. Like, get out. Yeah. It just feels like signs, you know, or something. That's amazing. Yeah. That's honestly how I feel. Like, I, de I definitely consider myself still a spiritual person. Some days I don't want to be Christian because gestures at outside world. Yeah. It's been such a big part of my life and my family's life that I think it's hard 
like I just think it will always be like my girlfriend is Jewish and she's been teaching me so much about what it is to be culturally religious as well as spiritually religious Mm. like I think I will always culturally be a Christian like because it's the only it's a lens I grew up in it's like so much of what I write comes from that lens and yeah I grew up Catholic and so I have a similar thing where it's like there's a lot of things I don't want to be a part of but then there's other parts that sort of make me feel like connected to something or just because I grew up with the traditions or like I do like that stuff and you can like enjoy the tradition somehow and make it your own you know I mean if you were in that for quite a few years in California and your family's still in Arizona like what was the next step were you always writing during this time? Or was it mostly just like working for the church, like worship music and things like that? Yeah, I mean, working for the church, I am realizing is such a bad sign in my life. I, like when I worked at the church, I did not write songs. It came from a place of I should only write worship songs and then can't write worship songs. So I'm just not going to write. Yeah. Sometimes I'll have this idea of like, oh, I need to write a song that's like, really motivate or like I'll have this idea of like this is what I should write about because this would be good for like the world or something and then like yeah. as soon as I'm like sitting there I'm like mm, sounds like I'm lying it seems like does it doesn't, doesn't <laughs> feel right or doesn't you know yeah. what I mean <laughs> like it's yeah not the vibe. you kind yeah. of can only write what you want to write about I guess but yeah and I think there are just like restrictions that like I like silver linings in my music but I don't think they are always necessary slash they are always there I think limitations are good in creativity, but some of those limitations were out of step with my actual like creative values. Yeah. And so it's like the moment there was like a clear, this is the end of this thing. Like I started to get creative again. I just started writing about my experience over the past five years and started writing songs about like processing my sexuality and all kind of kept to myself and like you know, I didn't like have plans for them or like, I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to like go out and get a deal. Like I was still trying to like be a writer at that time, like a journalism type writing. And that's what I went to school for. So I quit my job at the church. Okay. I was an English major and I was like, okay, I'm just going to write. And that like is obviously hard to get into, but it like, I was like having like small fits and starts, but like no breaks. Mm -hmm. And eventually a friend of mine reached out because he was playing bass for this artist named Andrew Watt. And this guy needed like a background singer and a guitar player. And so I started doing that gig and it was my first time being around a lot of career musicians. Like I had met people here and there, but like they were pretty elusive about what they did or like how they like made their money. So I was like, okay, yeah, it sounds fake. Or like you probably like got like a tv deal or something so like just seeing people who are like this is my job and like I you know I play guitar for this guy and then I drive across town and play guitar for another guy or like do a session with this guy also just like being Andrew's backup singer like it was fun because I think he's so freaking talented and he's like killing it in the songwriter world but like we were like singing songs about like his sex life and like his dick and like he's like super talented I like was sitting there. I'm like, if Andrew can like do this about this, then I could probably do this about other things. So I like did a Kickstarter for my first album and I just like locked myself in my apartment in LA and just wrote my entire first album by myself and then hired some of my friends to like play it. And that sort of began like, oh, I think I could maybe make this happen. 
And so I just started like writing and releasing music and trying to co-write with people and do the whole, you know, game. And eventually I signed a publishing deal in 2017. And then were they setting up rights and things like that for you to do? Yeah. Yes. So, and, and, and that has been helpful. Yeah. When you would go to these rights, was it writing for other artists or more for just like you knew for yourself? A little bit of both. I am very precious about who I let in on stuff that I write for me because like me writing music started as me by myself in my room trying to deal with my feelings about whatever thing I was going through at the time. And I think my most impactful musical moments have been in rooms that felt that safe and that intimate and whether that's by myself or with like other collaborators. I'm like a gremlin. Like I just have like a lot of (laughs) very like specific emotional writing needs. If you fulfill them, then you become part of my circle forever. I make that sound so prestigious. It's not. Um. It makes sense to me. Yeah. One of the things that's so special to me about your music is like that point of view, finding the people that sort of like help you express what you want to express. Yeah, I I don't write with anyone that I wouldn't tell a secret to. And I think Mm. that is like the biggest, my biggest standard of like, I need to trust this person with everything because I am going to be very honest during this process. Yeah, that's so true. What made you move to Nashville? I moved to Nashville. I signed my publishing deal in 2017 and they sent me on a writing trip here. One, I think growing up on like country folk, those hybrids, you drive downtown and I'm just like drooling at like all the history or like this is like what so-and-so talked about or like this is where so-and-so played. And I think it's really cool to be somewhere with that type of vibe. LA has that as well, but Nashville is so music specific. But then I also like, I was just running into something and I think it's because of the type of music I make in LA where like the people I was working with, I was like, I don't want to be like you when I grew up. It's just like the person they had to be or the projects they had to work on. I don't know if this town has like all of the correct paths for me. And then I came to Nashville and it just like took to it like a fish to water. Like it's just like so many like opportunities and rights and like things that like I had been begging for in LA just came a lot quicker in Nashville. And I think partially because it's relational and partially because I just, I think what I do is more Nashville speed. I don't know, I fell in love with it and it's like green and like you can go kayaking and hiking. And I have been taught my entire life to deny my physical needs, like things that make my body feel better. And I think being in a natural environment like this makes me a better person. Like I feel, I don't know. It's just a unique spot and the people are nice. I um, was back and forth between LA and Nashville for a couple of years because I was dating someone who lived in Nashville and I loved it so much. Like part of the reason I, we waited so long to break up or I or, <laughs> was partly because I'd be like, but I love Nashville. Like I love being there. I guess I could just move there. I just need a love story. So <laughs> I'm trying to ready. manifest some love in my life. So tell me a good love story. <laughs> You know, I can't. My girlfriend actually works for the publishing company that I'm signed to. <laughs> nice. Yes. Because, uh, you know, it's important to poo where you eat, uh, as they say. <laughs> Meeting her was another set of those, like, weird circumstances where, like, I met with my publishing team, their office in L.A., not their Nashville office. 
but for some reason the Nashville office was in LA that week and they were at my first meeting ever with prescription and Rachel was sitting at the end of the table and she said like one thing but I just like I literally the whole time I was like there's just a really beautiful person that works at prescription and I just like need to figure out who they are and then fast forward to like signing and like coming out to Nashville on my trip like she and I just like hit it off as like friends kind of like how we described listening to like our favorite artist music for the first time then when I moved before I actually lived in Nashville, she invited me to see Phoebe Bridgers on Valentine's Day. I thought it was like a friend day, but we went. And again, it was like another one of those moments where like, I like am like super in love with you and you might be straight, but I'm super in love with you. <laughs> and I had set a date because like I had like, I had been in this like three year long situationship and it ended poorly. And I said a date, like, I'm going to date again starting on this day. And she called me to hang out on that day, like, just randomly. Anyway, all that to say, we started dating, like, two months after I moved to Nashville. Yeah. I am so lucky. She is so kind, so hardworking. Anyone who meets her, like, immediately they talk about how warm she is, like, the warmth that just, like, radiates off of her. That's so cool. That's so special. I like that you guys went to Phoebe Bridgers for one of your first. I also like Phoebe Bridgers, of course. It's yeah, really good. She, I mean, she's great. Yeah. We're both sad girls. What has your like quarantine writing been like? And what are you looking forward to next with your music? Like, have you been in a routine writing or are you just need to rest and like take things day by day? Creatively, I've actually been relatively productive. And I was processing that last week. And I realized uh, it's because this year has been so traumatic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my productivity is directly correlated to my need to process things. Like I come upstairs to wrestle with an emotion or an idea or a hope or like a failure, or whatever. Like I come here to like figure that out because there was so much to figure out this year, both personally and like outside. Like creatively, it's been good, but it's also like, it's like that Nina Simone quote I think of all the time, like an artist should reflect the times that they're in. I had a great responsibility this year in the midst of everything that went on to like not only use my gift to like help myself heal and myself process, but like we just like live in a world where I can press upload and like share music with millions of people. Like I wanted to use that responsibility well. And now that I think I can say that I've hopefully have done at least a little bit of that I'm gonna take a nap or two yeah (laughs) I'm excited to like share the music and I'm excited for people to hear it like volume one was more about my relationship with myself and volume two is like an expansion of that but it's also about my like existence as a black queer woman in 2020 and like yeah in defense of my happiness actually means something because like you know, some days I'm like actually on the streets fighting for my actual happiness with other people. And I'm just excited to share how I have dealt with the back half of 2020 with everybody. And hopefully it'll help people understand their experience of it a little better as well. I'm definitely looking forward to it for sure. Some of your music is just so uplifting, but it's like grounded in a certain amount of like, well, that's like how you're going to move forward or it's really giving like real examples of how that's not easy. I really um, appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I I appreciate that. (laughs) 
okay, if you could have your coffee date or tea date with someone, I guess any artist, what would it be and where? Definitely High Garden. Okay. High Garden when it comes back. High Garden when it comes back. Anybody. That is hard. Because, like, do you just want to have a good time? Like, do you just want laughs? Or do you want advice on how to exist? Maybe David Bowie. Ooh. Because I feel like he not only advocated for himself, but advocated for others, like used his sort of like quirkiness to like expand our understanding of each other's experiences. And that is what I want to do. I just, I remember the video of him talking to MTV about like challenging them on why they don't play enough black music. I was just thinking that when you said him, I was like, oh yeah, he is so, so not scared to speak up for others. It's just... It's so inspiring, you know, and in a way, though, that's very, I don't know, kind, grounded, all that, you know, like. No one ever got super pissed that David Bowie called them out because one, he was usually right. Yeah, <laughs> two, yeah. Like, I think it, maybe it's because he's British, but I think it like he did have a way of like, I'm not going to berate you. I'm just going to be like, why is this the way that it is? And could we make it better? It's a good skill to have. Totally. That's a great coffee date or tea date. What are you going to sing today, Joy? Uh, I think I'm gonna do You Got a Problem. That sounds great. When the light is gone and you're on your own You've been trying, but the fight never goes away. And you don't know when the sun will shine again. All you gotta do is look my way. If you got a problem, I got a problem too. If you're standing at the bottom, I'll reach out for you. If you need someone to lean on, baby, I can be strong. I will carry you through. If you got a problem, I got a problem too. Everybody needs something to believe. If you want, you can always put your faith in me. I don't know it all. But I know how it feels so far With a helping hand to find your feet If you got a problem I got a problem too If you're standing at the bottom I'll reach out for you If you need someone to lean on Baby, I can be strong I will carry you through If you got a problem I got a problem too If you're lonely If you're down and out Holding out for a better day Call out for me I'll come running And we'll find a better way Cause if you got a problem I got a problem too If you're standing at the bottom I'll reach out for you 
If you need someone to lean on, baby, I can be strong. I will carry you through. If you got a problem, I got a problem too. so good <laughs> that was so beautiful thank you so much yes <laughs> Ooh, thank you for having me it's so good to meet you yeah it's really nice to meet you too I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. And if you haven't listened to Joy's music, I hope this inspires you to do so. I linked her performance on Jimmy Fallon as well as added a couple of her songs to the My Caffeine Withdrawal Spotify playlist, which is also linked in the show notes. There's also a moment in today's podcast that has really stuck with me and I wanted to be sure to point it out. Towards the end of our conversation, Joy talked about how much she liked David Bowie, and she even mentions an old MTV interview clip where he challenges MTV's failure to play black artist videos. I link the clip below in case you are not familiar. This moment has really stuck with me because I say something to Joy about his kindness in response, and I don't even know why I chose the word kind, because what I had really been searching to say, but couldn't find the right words, was how poised and confident he seemed. But kind is the word I grabbed for, and my slip-up really stuck with me. I guess even though it wasn't intentional, my quick choice of words made me question my sort of unconscious and automatic response. You know, sometimes I find myself being the kind of person that leans into, just be nice, just be chill, follow the rules, make everyone comfortable no matter what. But the inconvenient reality is that if we truly want a kinder world, we have to constantly be throwing out the rules of our society and questioning the rules in place so as to create a better world and more inclusive environment where everyone can thrive. Also, the pain and death and trauma that the history of racism has caused and still causes in this country is not anything anyone needs to be kind about. All emotions are valid. It was a brief passing moment, but I thought mentioning it might inspire someone else to also question and think about their quick reactions. By first noticing, we can begin to undo unconscious beliefs and programming, in particular, the programming that could be perpetuating silence as opposed to conversation. Okay, so I know we took a little bit of a break, but new My Caffeine Withdrawal episodes are coming at you for the next month or so, and we have so many great guests. So make sure to tune in next Tuesday. And until then, feel free to message me on social media or keep the music and coffee conversation going by joining the Facebook group. Thanks so much for listening today, and I hope you guys all have a great week.